In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Aaron Ellis. Thanks for having me, Carla. I'm excited to, to chat. Yeah, it's always fun chatting with you. We uh, have loved hearing your background and your stories in our uh, Clubhouse event that's um, every Thursday at noon Pacific Standard Time. But, you know, Aaron, share with us and uh, everyone listening or viewing uh, kind of your entrepreneurial background, because you've got kind of a mixture of things going on there in regards to, you know, being a previous uh, rock star, but then also, you know, working in real estate and all sorts of other things you got going on. Yeah. So I was thinking about this for uh, another interview I did in the last year, like when did it actually all start? And I think my entrepreneurial journey started prior to music uh, because my first memory which what I'm going to share, maybe, you know, I wouldn't do in this day and age, you know, but we all do things that are a little bit crazy. But what I'm going to say is not really that crazy. I actually took my parents uh, cocktail swords to school in kindergarten and sold them for a quarter each. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I took the product, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily do that this day and age, but that's my first memory of anything entrepreneurial. And then through elementary school and even into middle school, I was selling, you know, gobstoppers and stuff for a quarter each, or I ended up doing people's math homework and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then though, about six years old, I really got into music and that started to become more of a, a dominant role in everything I was doing. To the point where by 11, I was playing professionally, meaning getting paid, basically started getting paid at 11 and signed my first deal when I was 15 years old. So I literally, much to my parents' dismay, originally, obviously, they were both educators, was living my dream out of the gate. So that's been kind of interesting for me to go in retrospect and learn how to coach people and guide people and inspire people when I never had the experience of I wish I could one day, if only I was actually doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And so from there, I toured extensively for, for many, many years, a couple decades at least. I wrote with several different musicians, uh, co-writing a bunch of songs in the industry and whatnot from multiple genres. And then I had this battle within thinking I couldn't have a relationship and music. So constantly, of course, what we think about, we bring about, and I kept on having broken relationships, right? So I actually stepped out of music for a while to pursue a relationship, and I got into the health and fitness industry, which I started... Uh, Kind of, I, I started out working out on tour. Uh, a band called Dawkin was tour. It was basically towing a uh, a gym in a trailer behind the bus, and the roadies would put it out in the parking lot. We'd all work out. So that was in the '90s, and I got in really good shape. So I segued into fitness modeling. I was in super good shape, and through that, I ended up in the health and fitness industry, uh, consulting gyms, and then ultimately opening my own gyms and creating a a transformation program that's now global right now, and. Uh, also met my wife in that period of time. And I also uh, learned that I could have both. And I'm to the point where I'm full circle, where I, I never really stepped completely out of music, but I did stop touring extensively uh, for a handful of years there to really cultivate my relationship and dive into other entrepreneurial things. Yet, as we were sharing on, on the clubhouse uh, the other day, around 2015, things kind of crashed again. And I was working too much again. And I've 
constantly sought balance, which I think all entrepreneurs do, right? And I it's was so hard because the word balance itself is so weird when you, yeah. you know, want it, you're you love it all, you're right. So you're pursuing the relationship, but then you're also mm-hmm. you end up having kids, or you know, you're trying to develop yourself. And what happens is like you love it all, and I think that's the hard word when it comes to balance, when it has to do with you know your relationships, entrepreneurship, and you know, because do you really call it you know uh, balance when it's something that you love and you love to do, just like music, right? I mean, you yeah. could probably say, oh yeah, I'm I'm too obsessed with it. At the same time, it's kind of like, but you love it, so. Yeah. You know, one of my biggest strengths, which a lot of times our strengths are also our weaknesses, is I'm an all or nothing person. So I go 100% into something, which often makes the pendulum swing way over, right? And I'm working on keeping it in line and whatnot. But around then, we were working 16, 18 hour days. We had our kids with us at the gym with a nanny. And it seemed beautiful. It seemed wonderful. People would come into the gym and say, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. You get to be with your kids every day. And I'd kind of nod, yeah. And some of those days, I'd go in my office and cry. Because I was still living with, look at what Berlin did today and looking at pictures and videos of our kids, rather, even though they're in the same building as us, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So in uh, the fall of 2016, we just stepped out of the gym businesses altogether. I spent about eight months, nine months just playing with the kids, just going to the beach every single day. Well, at least five days a week for five, six hours a day. Had an awesome tan, you know, in California. <laughs> not, I did just for an awesome tan and just cultivated those relationships again. And in the process, committed to myself that I would only do things that allowed me to remain a full-time dad. And wow. so I, from there, I stepped into crypto. I stepped into online business building. Uh, and coaching people in online on online business building, which has led me back to where I am today, kind of a, a mismatch or a mesh of all those things, meaning I have music. Again, I'm getting ready to release a new album. I'll be performing again. I'm speaking on stages again. I'm working on a book. I'm also in uh, international land development and business development. Uh, I also still coach and mentor people, primarily entrepreneurs, as well as like musicians, actors, and athletes, because I found out Sports is also the entertainment industry. In the oh, last yeah. I'm mentoring all those people to transition basically into the second phase or third phase of their life where I understand what it means to give everything to something, right? Music was everything to me. My mom will tell you I was singing full songs before I was a year old, before I could speak and articulate sentences, right? And I've had four record deals in an industry that 1% of 1% get one, which that's just context, not a brag. It's just context, right? But mm-hmm. I've also been able to transition into a very successful life outside of music, outside of something well, it, that I poured my heart and soul into. You know, and that's something interesting. Uh, you know, in that transition period, was there anybody, you know, that you connected with that was helpful? Because I think that's a big conversation, regardless of what you're transitioning into, um, you know, to go, wow, you know, it's almost like, well, I did that then. And then, you know, now I'm going to do this. How, how did those transitions come about for you? So that is such a good question, Carla. And it's something that I love to share because I think if people would be open to their impulses or their intuition, I get, I would more call it, some people say I'm impulsive or spontaneous. I say I'm intuitive and I follow it. They would probably be led to these type of people too. So in, uh, in that period of time where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, my whole identity in music was somewhat breaking down because I, my business manager had embezzled money from me and all this stuff. So I was kind of forced to push and pause on music. And 
I was just frustrated. And literally two in the morning, one day I said, I'm going to Maui. And I booked a ticket and three hours later I was on a plane. Okay. So <laughs> the beauty of that is I That's just. the reason why I enjoy you so much. <laughs> <You've got laughs> <a lot of> <laughs> common. <laughs> the beauty of that was I had thought that for like three weeks, just go somewhere, go get away, go clear your head. And finally it was almost like it built up so much. I got to go. So I went there, I woke up the next morning and I, I found this local paper that was like, you know, one of the local papers in Maui. And it said there was this store that was like a spiritual store with crystals and meditation stuff, which I was into. So I went there and I went in a sensory deprivation tank right? Which they close off the whole world. So you can't hear anything. You're floating. It's really cool. As I'm walking out, I see another paper that says Ram Das, who's an author from the seventies. He it was a book called be here now is his most favorite or most uh, famous. He was speaking at this unity church the next day. So I decided to go to this unity church the next day. And all the while I'd been reading books from this author over the last couple of years that I really, really loved and was really resonating with what he was teaching. It was really helping me heal and grow and understand who I was. And I'm sitting there basically waiting for Ram Dass to come on stage and this gentleman sits down beside me and I'm like, that's Wayne Dyer, who is the one really? I've been writing. Oh my gosh, I love him. Right? So I've been reading his books for years. And well, I'm like, he loved Hawaii. He would always oh yeah. talk about it. Yeah. So afterwards I waited aside because everybody wanted to talk to him and I waited aside and he kept looking over at me kept looking over at me knowing I was waiting and he walks up and he's like how you doing he shook my hand I said hey I just I'm wondering if I could get some time from you a few minutes just to chat or whatnot I'm staying at uh the Westin in Kanapali he's like oh my oh my gosh that's my favorite Black Rock it's the oh, best yeah. place to go scuba diving ever it's amazing so he had his yeah. condo at Kanapali Alley which was right next door to the Westin so he's like, you know, I'm right next to him. He's like, I'll tell you what, what are you doing now? I said, what? I'm nothing. He's like, come to lunch with us. So I went to lunch with him and with Ram Dawson, another, another guy who was a speaker. I don't remember who he was. He was just getting started in the industry. And from there on, I became friends with this guy. And he basically mentored me for a few years. And we stayed in contact till he passed away. But that was my first mentorship. And I, I bring that up and love to tell that story because for three weeks, I was frustrated. I should have like, I wanted to go away. So when I first got there, I'm like, man, if I would have only gone three weeks earlier, I, when I, I would have felt better. But then the next day I wake up and it was perfectly timed synchronistically for me to go to that store, see that article, go to the event where Ram Dass was speaking, have Wayne Dyer sit down right next to me, staying in a condo right next to me. Like it just, it was all completely divine and synchronistic. If I would have left three weeks earlier, who's to say, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was one of my biggest mentors, one of the two people that I really trust in the world. And the second one came later on uh, in 2017, uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Allen, which I know we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about Paul Allen is I had no idea who he was other than this guy who was a guitar player, had a really cool house in okay, Seattle. I didn't know that uh, yeah. Paul was a guitar player. Oh, yeah. You know, I always knew him on the business side, right? Co-founder. I had no idea. He had a really cool house that he invited all the Seattle musicians over to for Christmas. He did have a really cool house. <laughs> so since I was really young, I was going like a few of the years in between and stuff. I'd gone to his house for Christmas and stuff for these parties and stuff. And he had a stage and we'd all get up and jam. And then, and the cool thing was, is about 11 o'clock, I wasn't a drinker. I like, even though I was in the music industry, I had everything at my disposal at a buffet, you know, buff backstage of anything you think of. I never really got into that. I loved life. I loved what I was doing. I didn't really want to numb it. Uh, and so about 11, 12 o'clock at night at those parties, I was in the kitchen. People were out drunk. I was in the kitchen sitting in this room with what I come to find out were billionaires and millionaires that were talking. And here's me with long hair and leather on and stuff. And, <laughs> and I'm just listening, right? And I actually learned a lot that I didn't know I'd learned. 
you know, it was kind of peripheral happening. But later on in life, I had these thoughts and these things arise in me during times where I was struggling. And I can directly connect them to those, those times I sat in the kitchen listening to these people, right? Mm-hmm. So he came back into my life uh, when I was up for Thanksgiving. My family's still in Seattle. So I went up for Thanksgiving. I had lunch with him and he, I had gone through a very tough period. I'd lost a significant amount of money. This was right out of that gym period where I'd spent eight months living off my savings and basically getting to know my kids and stuff again, spent pretty much all the liquid funds I had and then came to him and he had been trying to get me to learn about investing for years. And I always would say, this is a really impactful part that I want people to listen to because a lot of people think their limitations are negative. Okay. I would always say when he would try to get me to save money, I'd rather have experience than money in the bank and I can always make more money. Now that took me to 50 plus countries, right? And I was always able to make more money. So they were true and they were very empowering. And, and I lived a very extraordinary life. I have lived a very extraordinary life because of those two mantras I had. Mm-hmm. But when he started mentoring me, he's like, Aaron, you have two limitations. And I said, what are those? Those were the two limitations he brought up. Wow. I'm like, I'm like what? So he mentored me that next year, which ended up, I guess, I don't know what the percentage is, but I low six figures to low seven figures. I had lost low six, ended up making low seven in the next 14 months from when I started working with him. So he was another mentor that's been with me today. And then today I have multiple mentors, um, a couple who are very, very, I've learned to cultivate those relationships. I've learned the difference between like riches and wealth and wealth is really about relationships. Like people's catalyst talks about, like you talk about, like your clubhouse is about. And it's, you know, I've learned to cultivate those relationships and even people I, I coach and mentor, I tell them to like, don't worry about meeting a lot of people, just meet the right people and really get to know them like a handful or two of people that you would vacation with. And a year ago, I moved my entire family across the country from California to Florida. I now live in the neighborhood of one of my mentors and business partners and work out with them every day. And it's become just one of my best friends. So mentorship coaching is very key, but when the student is ready, the teacher will appear and I've definitely been ready and I've definitely not been ready at some points. Mm-hmm. So have has it been more kind of like a happenstance or, you know, just know a knowing like you were talking about, or have you also kind of sought out who, you know, your mentor would be or who you want to reach? I mean, cause Paul Allen is a pretty darn impressive mentor, right? Like, yeah. Was it just, oh, wow, I'm performing in somebody's house? And, or was it like, what was the, the spark that says, hey, I need to listen to this individual or, you know, it, you know, gain some knowing from their experience? Well, so I had experience with him, like I said, in the like music related. I didn't know who he was. Uh, my that father's hilarious. Yeah. Like, Aaron, <laughs> you're just like, hey, Paul, what's up? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, just the little co founder of Microsoft. Yeah. I knew he created the music museum in Seattle, which is, I can't remember, it used to be music experience. I knew that. Um, my father knows his sister well. My dad was the first retailer of Apple computers in uh-huh. Washington State. So there was, the, I, I had known him peripherally for years. But what really hit me was he was trying to get me to invest for years. So when we sat down at that, when we had lunch in that November, he asked me how much money I had left from my advance from Warner Brothers. Now I got 1.75 million from Warner Brothers. And he asked, and that was in 2005, right? So 10, 11 years previous, how much money did I had left? Well, what was my answer? 
a big fat zero, right? Mm -hmm. And he had talked to me around that time. I actually took some of my money and I built a, a recording studio that he funded an artist to record in, in Beverly Hills. So I'd seen him back then too. And he tried to get me to invest then. And he's like, let me show you something. And he quickly on a, on a napkin showed me if I would have taken a hundred grand back then and invested the way he said I should have, I would have had $10 million that day. Whoa. And so that made me say, oh, really? Now, remember, I also had a family at this point. You know what I mean? I had a, a young daughter and a son and whatnot. So I couldn't think 20 years down the road yet. I couldn't do it. Couldn't even really think five years down the road. So when he was saying, you, how about a year? Will you listen to me for a year? I said, yes, I'll do it for a year, which I got to tell you was not an easy year. I threw tantrums. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> do you, you know, what's so interesting to me is, you know, even somebody who, you know, co-founds Microsoft, really, you know, if you just like you said, if the student is ready, the teacher will appear. They want to give back I and mean, these great individuals that have built some amazing, you know, um, enterprises really, truly want to give back. And I think the thing is, is just being open to actually receive what it is that, you know, they'd like to give. Well, like I said, he had, he had tried to get me to listen to him for over a decade. When I had a, over a million dollars in my bank account, he tried to get me to invest. And I was like, eh, I'd rather have experience than money in the bank. I can always make more money, you know, which was true. Those were empowering statements, but even back then he knew, and then he showed me if I would have listened, what it would have equated to. I'm like, okay, I don't really know what you just wrote down here, but I know what that number is. And I know what this number is. So what do you <laughs> You can do the math on that one really easy. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, share with us what you've got going on here recently in regards to uh, animals and uh, rescuing animals. And I know you got an event coming up here real quick. It, well, in the near future, I don't yes. know if you have a specific date at this point, but. So my wife and I have always been huge animal lovers. Back when I was even, when I was a kid in like elementary school, junior high and stuff, I would go volunteer at the animal rescues. And I really loved to work with the animals that were unadoptable. Like I remember sitting in front of like a kennel and opening the door for weeks on end before an animal would come out and greet me. I would just sit there and just sit there and sit there with them, right? And sometimes I bring my guitar and strum my guitar and stuff. And, and then she also started basically rescuing animals, meaning bringing them home and hiding them from her parents when she was six with her siblings. So over our relationship, she always wants to rescue every animal we come across, which I do too. Um, but our home, you know, ends up being kind of a zoo. <laughs> you can only fit so many of them in there, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, I want to say spring of two. Goodbye to them. That's the hardest thing about the whole adoption or well, just taking care of them for a time and then like giving them to somebody else. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It is. When spring 2020, uh, one of my business partners who, who lives in the, I live in the neighborhood now, his, his wife is really passionate about animals too. He's like, Hey, if you ever move out this way, we'll do it for the wives. So we did move out this way and we basically are now doing that. We're building rise animal refuge. And our, we're starting with dogs first because in the area we are in, we're in the panhandle of Florida. And all the uh, rescues that are here are primarily foster rescues, meaning they don't have land, they don't have kennels. And there's anywhere from two to 10 dogs in people's homes fostering these dogs because they're pulling from Louisiana and Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, constantly all the death row animals, they're going up and getting 30, 40, 30 to 40 of these dogs a week and bringing them down uh, you know, a day or two before they're gonna be euthanized. 
So we're like, the infrastructure here cannot handle the influx of animals coming in. So it's kind of perfect to do it right here. And again, like I said, we're starting with dogs and we're starting with cats. Uh, we've been doing it as fosters since we've been here, but now we're, we're getting ready to build on the land and everything. And like you mentioned, we have an event coming up, a, a fundraising event coming up, which is actually near and dear to my heart because I, one of the, uh, my other passions and desires is to do my music in a way that just gives back. Meaning I don't really care if I make money with my music anymore. I want to do it only like not only, but for charitable organizations and for nonprofits and stuff. So with that, um, we are putting on a concert, you know, we're, we're doing a two day concert. There's going to be a dinner, like a, um, semi-formal dinner. Cause I won't wear a tie. So we're calling it semi. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I have a group of songwriters and myself uh, from Nashville. We're going to get up and we're going to acoustically perform the songs we've written and co-written and tell the actual stories on how they came about for all these famous, you know, there's famous artists that have recorded those songs and gone on to play them, but tell the real stories and perform them the way they're originally written. And then Saturday is a full rock concert where I have my band is basically coined a superstar band because it's got players everywhere that played with the Rolling Stones to U2 to Rat, Skid Row, all the 80s bands. I'm bringing players from all those bands to back me and I'll be playing band songs from my new album, as well as songs from my 30 years of, co of songwriting and, and performing with a lot of those bands as well as um, we have a band called Great White coming out, if you remember the band Great White from the 80s, and we're making it an 80s party. So Friday will be semi-formal. Okay, the 80s Saturday is will the be best band years yeah. ever, and the best hair. You gotta pull your leg warm as that <laughs> when you get to the show. So we haven't set the exact date yet, but we're, we're shooting for before the Super Bowl, which is the second weekend of February. So it's gonna be somewhere late January, early February. Um, but as soon as we know it, they can, anybody can find out at riseanimalrefuge.org. So it's R-I-S-E animalrefuge.org. We'll make sure that that gets in the, uh, the notes for the podcast as well. Aaron, never a dull moment with you, my friends. Uh, love your entrepreneurial journey. I love the fact that you can talk about, you know, what didn't work, what did work and always being open. Uh, so appreciate it. And uh, yeah. all of our watchers and listeners, you can get uh, in contact with Aaron uh, in regards to uh, the um, Animal Refuge event. We will make sure the URL is in the notes and I'm going to be pretty sure I'll see you there. Awesome. I'm counting on you being there. So. It's not a party without Carla. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love what you're doing. I love what you're up to. And I love the fact that you're always willing to reach out and help others. So Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been an honor. Thank you, Carla. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.